0: Well, good morning, everyone. How you doing? It's getting warm out there. Yeah, gets rid of the grumpies. I can tell you that I was driving in this morning heading east and there was this big yellow thing in the sky and I didn't know what is that. Ah. So pretty exciting. Um, hopefully we can focus for a few minutes and then uh, we can go out and have some fun in it. So why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me to first Peter chapter two. If you're a guest with us today, just so you know what we're doing, we're in a series called Aliens, and it's a study of this letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to Christians in the early church who, because of their faith in Christ, their reverence for God, their desire to be obedient to God, Peter says they weren't always going to be understood by their culture. They're going to be viewed as a bit strange, you know, sort of an alien people who don't always fit in. And last week we saw Peter remind Christians how in Jesus we are God's chosen people, you know, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, you know, men and women graciously called out of the darkness and into God's wonderful light. And Peter says, once you, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that makes a difference. He describes how that spiritual reality changes us from the inside out and how it affects our lives, uh, how on a personal level, he says more and more we resist and abstain from certain over-desires that um, that tempt us and are, and are uh, detrimental to our lives and destroy us. Uh, publicly, he says, we live such good lives among the pagans, that means just people don't know God, uh, that they see our love and our compassion, our good deeds, and our spiritually impact. In other words, they see and learn of Jesus through us. And so we're going to pick up this morning where we left off last week, chapter 2, verse 13, and Peter's going to continue to describe here how we are to live every day in a way that makes us seem strange to the culture around us. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning for the sunshine, the warmth of the day, the reminder that uh, um, you have given us this creation to enjoy and to celebrate. And the beauty of it um, is a reminder of you, our creator. And uh, you place times and seasons. Um, You have... um, organize the universe in such a way that we can live and we can breathe and we can experience um, all that you have for us as your people. And so we celebrate that today, and um, I pray in the, in the short time that we have here together before heading out into the day that um, you would teach us what is right and true. And uh, we recognize, Lord, sometimes your word is easy to hear and sometimes not so much. But whatever the case is today, whatever you have for us, may we be open to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, March 18th, as most of you know, was Election Day. Uh, it's the day when we as U.S. citizens participate uh, and have the right to participate, an opportunity to participate in the democratic process of choosing government officials. It's a right we enjoy and appreciate, one for all intents and purposes we have come to insist upon. Um, in fact, today in America, there's a lot of talk about individual rights. Everybody feels entitled to them. Everybody demands them. And those demands flow from you know, the idea of human dignity along with the reality of legal privilege. And frankly, you know, as Americans, we have so many rights. Uh, I think at times we tend to take them for granted and we forget that with rights come responsibilities. Um, as, as citizens, we're responsible to obey laws. You know, we're responsible to pay taxes, to serve on juries, to honor the jurisdiction of the courts, and to vote. You know, in Scripture, we're told that as Christians, we also have rights, spiritual ones, that are not available to everybody. The Apostle John says uh, that uh, to all who receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Uh, we have the right to go to God whenever we want, with our petitions, our needs, our hurts our our hopes and dreams. so we have spiritual rights. But when Peter wrote this letter to Christians in the church, he seems to emphasize responsibility more than rights uh, so let me I want to explain what I mean by that notice notice how per, uh, Peter first addresses this issue of responsibility, especially as it relates to to life as an everyday citizen now he 's talking about how we live every day, on the common, you know, uh, ebb and flow of life, every single day, he says this in verse 13. He says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, to uh, provide perhaps some clarification, uh, here's my personal Ray K. 21st century American translation. Peter says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to the president, to the Supreme Court, to the Congress, the Senate, the governor, state legislature, the local mayor, Into every human authority instituted uh, by God. Now, stated that way, you know, some of us are going to balk at that because, you know, we don't necessarily like or agree with those in authority over us, and we're not particularly thrilled with Peter's use of that that rather uncomfortable, unpopular term, submit. Uh, That's that's because as Americans, you know, we are free to hold opposing political views, uh, we feel little or no compulsion to respect leaders who uh, we don't agree with, like, or vote for. And certainly as human beings, we have a sinful inclination uh, toward arrogance and rebellion to start with, and so we definitely don't like the idea of submitting to anyone. And the word submit has become a curse word in the context of a free, rapidly independent, democratic, and most secular culture. And yet immediately... Uh, after encouraging readers to live such good lives so as to represent God among the pagans, Peter identifies submission to authority as a good and godly thing. What exactly does he mean by submit? Well, the Greek term he uses, literally translated, is to put under. And it was a military term. It meant to yield, it meant to voluntarily yield in obedience to the leading authority of another person. Some might say, well, you know, What does Peter know? His command is outdated. He obviously didn't realize what it's like to submit to an authority that you disagree with and never voted for. But let's keep in mind the historical context of this document written in the first century. Peter wrote these words somewhere around 67 AD to Christians living in the Roman Empire. And the emperor was who? was Nero, a cruel dictator who, as we've talked about before, intentionally and falsely blamed Christians for setting the city of Rome on fire. Many believed he himself did it, or at the very least, when the fire started, he did nothing to stop it for his own gain. But he decided to take the political pressure off himself. He needed a scapegoat, so he he intentionally blamed Christians, declared them to be a threat to the nation, uh, ordered them to be rounded up, their money, their possessions uh, taken. Most of them were beaten and abused. Many of them were murdered. The well-known Roman historian Tacitus wrote that Christians were so brutally and unjustly treated that a feeling of compassion arose toward the sufferers because they seemed not to be cut off for the public good but were the victims of the ferocity of one man. And that was Nero. And so in light of that injustice, in light of the brutality, you know, you got to wonder what, what first century Christian in their right mind would ever submit to that guy, to the emperor and to his cronies. And yet Peter calls believers to do just that. They weren't told they they had to agree with everything. They weren't told that they had to say the leaders and politicians were right all the time. But they were called in daily life to submit to Roman government, to voluntarily yield in obedience to those in authority over them. And understand, this this wasn't a belief uh, standard Peter was giving uh, to Christians. It was a behavioral standard. And it was an important one. You know, uh, Harry S. Truman Uh, doesn't always get a lot of recognition for being a great leader in our country. Uh, He became president following the death of uh, FDR. He took uh, office in the middle of World War II. And it was President Truman who who had to make the decision to unleash a nuclear power on our enemies. Uh, He later also had to declare war against communism in North Korea. And as if those weren't hard enough Uh, decisions to make. He also, at one point, had to remove one of the most decorated war heroes of all time, General Douglas MacArthur. had to remove him from his post for insubordination. And uh, it was a hard thing, but he did it. Um, And it's reported that President Truman said, for MacArthur to disrespect me is nothing, because as a man, I'm nothing. But I'm also the President of the United States. And by God, that man is fired. So, uh, in short, President Truman Understood that authority has to be respected. It doesn't matter if it's in government or in the workplace, at home or at church, somebody has to govern and lead, somebody has to submit and follow. And if and when that fails to happen, what do you have? You have chaos, you have anarchy. And so Peter addresses this issue of authority in all the areas I just mentioned. In chapter 5, he talks about authority in the church as it relates to leaders and their oversight of God's people. In chapter 3, he'll talk about it in terms of family. And here in chapter 2, he speaks of our need to submit to every human authority, specifically related, in this case, to government and the workplace. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I first hear these words, uh, the first questions that, that come into my mind are, you know, why do we have to submit? And how do we do that? And uh, interestingly enough, Peter gives us the answers. Why submit? He gives us four reasons. Reason one, he says we submit for the Lord's sake. In other words, we voluntarily yield in obedience to authority because, well, because God wants us to. And for us in the church, that should be reason enough. Because if, if we're committed to God, if we say we love God and, and we trust that he knows what is right and good and best and true and healthy for us, well, then we're going to do whatever he wants. Um, if he wants us to believe, we'll believe. If he wants us to be baptized, we'll be baptized. If he wants us to forgive, we'll forgive. If he wants us to be generous, we'll be generous. If he wants us to serve, we'll serve. If he calls us to obey authority, we'll obey authority. I mean, really, for a Christian, there's no better reason to do anything than to do it for the Lord's sake. You know, because he's told us to. And because we believe he has our best in mind. He knows what's right. He knows what he's doing. Peter says there's also another reason. He says we submit because all human authority is instituted by God himself. You know, for Peter, that was a given. It was a given that any and all established authority in the world depends on God for its existence. The same was true of the apostle Paul. Paul, he wrote Christians living in Rome. And he said to them this. He said, uh, he said, let everyone submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. And he says it again, the, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Uh, in a letter to a leader in the church named Titus, Paul writes, Remember, or remind the people to submit to rulers and authorities and to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. When writing a young pastor named Timothy, Paul says, I urge you that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. Pray for your leaders. Give thanks for your leaders. I mean, there is no doubt in Paul's mind and Peter's mind who establishes governing authority in the world. In the Old Testament, it was Daniel. Daniel said, Praise be to God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and he raises others up. In other words, he puts people into power and he takes people out of power. According to his sovereign design and will, God establishes human authority. Uh, If you remember the story when Jesus was arrested and he was placed before Pilate for questioning, uh, at one point Pilate says to Jesus, don't you realize I have the authority to free you or crucify you? You remember what Jesus said to him? Jesus said, you would have no authority over me if it were not given to you from above, divinely established by my Father in heaven. And so, with all of this in mind, Peter writes Christians in the church, uh, and he, he calls them to submit to authority for the Lord's sake, because God has sovereignly instituted it. And to dis- disrespect it is to disrespect God Himself. The three, the third reason to submit, Peter says, is because God has instituted governing authority for our benefit and protection. He says, "Submit to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right." So, in essence, what Peter offers here is a summary statement defining the the role of human government and authority. Ideally. It's put in place by God to curtail evil and promote justice and righteousness. Again, Paul, when he wrote Christians Living in Rome, he explained it this way. He said, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. You want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right. You'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment upon the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience, because it's the right thing to do before God. Here's my Reiki summary of that. God has established governing authorities for the purpose of maintaining at least some degree of order and civility among us human beings on earth, you know, to protect us from ourselves. And although authority is sometimes perverted by corrupt individuals, still, God has ordained it for our benefit. And again, that's not just, that's not just true in terms of, of government. It's true in the family. That's why Paul writes to Christians, he says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is Right. Honor your father and mother. It's also true in the church. The author of Hebrews writes Christians and says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So here's the deal. Paul, the writer of Hebrews, Peter, they all say, Submit yourselves to every human authority. Why? For the Lord's sake. Because he's instituted it and he's done it for your benefit. And then the fourth reason, Peter says, is we submit to silence ignorant talk of foolish people. In other words, God calls us to voluntarily yield in obedience to authority as a way to quiet our critics. I mean, understand, we talked about this. Christianity was originally uh, tolerated in Roman society. It was viewed as just sort of an offshoot of Judaism so originally it was tolerated but certain rumors began to circulate within the culture about these Jesus followers. You know, Some said they were cannibals and they would eat the body and drink the blood of their leader at meetings. Some accused them of um, participating in orgies because they claimed to especially love one another. Others accused them of political sedition so they were more loyal to their God than to the emperor and that was a problem and they were bad citizens. They were a danger to the state. They were They were traitors and... And so Nero took advantage of these cultural misconceptions and these rumors, and he fueled them for his own benefit. And God simply wanted to silence the critics to end the rumors so the good news of his love and grace wouldn't be obscured by what was perceived as political insurgents. You know, over the last 2,000 years, similar misconceptions have developed in cultures and in contexts where Christianity gets mixed up in politics. And while being involved in politics can be a responsible and positive thing, promoting what is good and right and just, there's always the risk that political activism can obscure the good news of, uh, of Jesus. Um, I mean, there are, there are people in our culture today who think that Christians are more political than spiritual, and they believe that our nation would be better off without Christians pushing absolute rights and wrongs on everybody else. I think their perception is wrong but it is what it is. Now, am I saying that we should get out of politics? No, I'm not saying that. Am I saying that Christians should refuse to participate, participate in the political process? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we need to be very careful not to allow political activism to, to displace spiritual activism. The world is not going to be rescued or saved through political means. That which will have the greatest impact on our culture and on our world is not the legislation we lobby, but the honorable lives that we live every single day as upright, honest, good, generous, kind, helpful, responsible citizens. That's why we submit to authority. For the Lord's sake, he's instituted it. It's meant for our, it's, it's meant for our benefit, and it's meant to silence the ignorance of our critics. But here's the next question, you know. Okay, well, how are we supposed to do it? How, how do we submit? What does that look like? Peter says, "Here's what it looks like." He says, "Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves." Another way to think about it would be to say that uh, we're to we're we're to underemphasize our rights and overemphasize our responsibilities. Because, you know, look, it's true. We have freedom in Christ. Jesus didn't come to give us a whole bunch of more rules and regulations that we had to follow and legalism. and, and He didn't come for that. We have, we have freedom in Christ. But we're never to use our freedom as an excuse to behave any way we want. Spiritual freedom is no excuse for sin. It's no excuse for rage, hostility, violence selfish ambition, deceit, malice, slander, or arrogantly bucking authority. And someone asked, well, okay, but what if those in authority don't deserve respect? Well, what about Nero? I mean, think of Nero. I got to believe this was an issue, a big issue for first century Christians. They had to struggle with this, you know, What if those in authority are not just people we disagree with. What if those in authority, those who have been assigned to punish wrong and promote what's good and just, what if they do the opposite? What if they pervert rather than protect? Well, think of Nero. Like it or not, Peter says, we're to live as servants of God. And in in verse 17, he summarizes what that means in everyday life. He says, show proper respect to everyone. You know, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. And most of us, you know, we're okay with the first three-fourths of that verse. Respect people? Sure. You know, love fellow Christians? Yes. Revere God? Absolutely. We're good with all those. But showing honor to the emperor, respecting the emperor, to, you know, to one in authority who, at worst, is a brutal dictator or, at best, someone with whom we disagree politically? that's pretty hard to swallow and yet Peter says in the course of everyday life do this and you will serve God well we like to run to examples of, of extremes and say well okay but what if what if we're commanded to do something immoral what if the emperor what if the president the governor the mayor you know someone in authority tells us to murder cheat steal lie well the answer is simple don't do that And God tells us to do everything possible and reasonable to be good citizens, but He never commands us to do something sinful. His word supersedes man-made laws. You know, if if submission to a leader means sinning against God and what He says is right and good and healthy and best for us, you don't do it. You just don't do it. You go as far as you reasonably can. You submit to every authority. You show respect, but you do not sin. If you're a pedestrian, you obey the crossing guard. If you're a student, you obey your teacher. If you're a civilian, you pay your taxes. If you're a defendant, you obey the judge. If you're a soldier, you obey your commanding officer. If you're a citizen, you obey the laws and the leaders of the land. Submit. Voluntarily yield to their authority, but do not sin. And then notice how Peter goes on to address this idea of submission, not just in terms of government, but as it relates to the workplace. And what he writes here may seem at first irrelevant to us today, but look, it was a huge deal to first century readers, I mean, because it was written to slaves, and slaves made up a majority of the Roman Empire. Uh, Historians estimate there were upwards of six million slaves, men and women who had no rights. They had the same legal standing as property. In fact, they couldn't even officially marry, but they were forced to live together and have children who were then considered property of the slave owner. Uh, the master could beat, rape, sell, kill a slave. There was nothing they could do about it, nothing. And slaves came from every walk of life. They came from varying ethnic backgrounds. Many were captured by conquering Roman armies and then relocated somewhere else in the, uh, in the empire. Many of them were born into slavery. And because the Romans viewed themselves as great conquerors, they believed conquerors shouldn't have to work. Everybody else should labor for them. And so slaves were were physicians, accountants, uh, builders, teachers, artists, musicians, nurses, managers. They filled just about every profession in Roman society. Some slave owners were absolutely vicious. But many of them were kind and generous and viewed slaves as part of the family. They respected them and loved them. But they were not free. They were slaves. And there were a lot of them. And a lot of Christians were slaves. So imagine yourself in that that situation, in that culture. And then listen to what Peter writes. He says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Now that's an amazing statement. And what it tells me, first and foremost, is that Scripture always speaks to reality, not idealism. It always instructs us on, on, on how to respond And deal with things in life, the good things, and even the inherently evil things, like slavery. I mean, human slavery is wrong at any time in any context. And it was wrong in the Roman context, and ideally it should have been abolished in first century Rome. But in the early days of the church, a few thousand Christian slaves were not going to change a deeply rooted societal practice, not through individual insurrection, they'd all been killed off, and the cause of Jesus uh, uh, eliminated Because understand this, the gospel, the true gospel, never progresses through violent uprisings, but through truth, and love, and submission, and grace, and sacrifice, and compassion. Things this world, they're alien to this world. I mean, Peter in no way, shape, or form is endorsing slavery here. He is simply acknowledging its reality, and he instructs Christians on how to live in that reality. And he says, listen, if you're a slave, then you're free in Jesus to be the best slave you can be. You Do your job well. Don't complain if you're treated unjustly or unfairly. Now, does that mean that Peter was telling Christians to welcome abuse, to welcome enslavement? Is he condoning human rights violations? Is this a license for violence, human trafficking, racism, poverty, sexual abuse, and more? No, it's not. On the contrary, what Peter is conveying here is a very deep confidence that the power of God's love and grace experienced in Christ will so transform from the inside out, so transform a person's life, how they live, that they will in turn impact the people around them and change the world around them. And what happened in the Roman Empire historically demonstrates how that's true and how the love, the grace, the submission, the compassion and generosity of God's people made a difference. It changed the culture. It changed an empire. It has changed the world. Because over time, you know, both slaves and masters became followers of Jesus. The New Testament book of Philemon is a case study in that. Masters joined churches where slaves were leaders. You know, Christianity transcended the slave-master relationship. And as the number of believers grew and the church expanded, it was Christianity rather than slavery that dominated the Roman Empire. What about today? You know, slavery still exists in places. It's unfortunate but true. You know, what about that poor person who somewhere is, is used and beaten by an ungodly master? What about workers today who are unjustly treated by employers? Maybe they're not owned, but they feel like slaves in the workplace. What is a Christ follower to do? Well, the answer is not easy, but it is quintessentially Christian. We're to suffer like Jesus who in the face of pain and injustice offered us a model to follow, Peter says. Verse 21, he says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. He, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In a way, Peter is saying that one of the greatest honors for a Christian is to be like Jesus. And when we suffer unjustly, we share in his experience. Because, you know, I mean, Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He was innocent. He's gentle, uh, truthful, kind, loyal, loving, humble, forgiving. And yet for being so perfectly good, he was what? Betrayed, arrested, beaten, spit on, mocked, crucified, enduring all of that for us. His quiet submission and suffering paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. Through his humiliation comes our healing and our freedom but do you realize what that ultimately means ultimately that means that before Jesus can really be your example he has to be something more than that you know what I'm saying I mean people some people are going to read what Peter says here and they're going to come to the conclusion that well you know because Jesus is our example then being a Christian is all about being a good moral person like him No. I mean, here's the thing. If you really, if you study his life, if you look at Jesus, at his truth, his love, his goodness, his moral perfection, his example is absolutely crushing. It's demoralizing. It's devastating. It becomes nothing more than a glaring indictment of our sinful failures. Because no one in this room, no one in this world can live the life Jesus lived. You can't do it. And so if Jesus is just an example and being a Christian requires us being as good as him, you know what? We're all doomed. We're doomed. But see, the truth is Jesus' perfect example proves that he's more than just an example, more than human. He was and is deity in the flesh come to rescue us and set us free. He's the shepherd and overseer of our souls, as Peter puts it. And make no mistake about it, being a Christian means we understand that Jesus is not simply an example to follow, but the Savior in whom we put our faith. And it's highly unlikely that we will be willing to voluntarily yield in submission to the authorities around us in the world, to anyone really, until we voluntarily voluntarily yield and submit ourselves to him and experience his love and his grace that changes us from the inside out and changes how we relate to the world around us until we submit to him. Have you done that? I hope you have because that's what it means to be a Christian. Let's pray. Our Father, for those who live... um, In a free culture, one in which we have so many rights, um, it's sometimes hard for us to recognize this call to submission. Put on top of that our our sinful inclination toward arrogance and rebellion, and, and it's just a real challenge for us. But I pray you'd help us recognize that in the course of life, you've placed authorities over us for, for reasons, and that you call us to submit for your sake, uh, that you've placed them in, in, in position for our benefit, our protection, and you call us to submit to them as good citizens as a way to silence our critics. Um, I pray that we would live those kind of lives that represent you well. In the world. And I I, I, we we look at Jesus' example of of submission and sacrifice, and it's because of that that we are set free, that we have forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. But the truth is, if Jesus is just our example, uh, then we're doomed. He is more than that. He is the savior. And I pray that everyone in this room would recognize it, believe it, and embrace it. And in so doing, experience your grace and mercy that changes us from the inside out. It changes how we see the world. It changes how we respond to the world and how we respond in humility and submission to those in authority. I thank you, God, for, for Jesus and for the fact that he has set us free to live for you in a way that is right and good and respectful. We celebrate today that freedom. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, shall we? I want to uh, I want to thank you all for being with us uh, this morning. And um, uh, here's the thing, you know, Jesus is our example, right? But he's got to be more than that. Yeah? If he is just an example to follow, that is debilitating. That is crushing. That is discouraging. You talk about guilt. You talk about fear. No one can live up to that. No one can do that. He has to be more than just an example. And he is. He is a Savior. Not just the one we follow, but the one in whom we have our faith. We place our faith. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you add anything to Jesus any attempts at good works or efforts, you have eliminated grace and you are caught back into the devastating reality of legalism and religious works. And uh, I hope you guys understand that because it's the gospel that does set us free and um, free to live a life that, that shows people and points people to Christ. Uh, and to the God who loves them. So thanks for being here, uh, following this service. Some of our prayer team will be up here. If, if you're going through something in life, maybe it has to do with authority, maybe it has to do with work, job, family, whatever, and you just want someone to talk to and pray with, they're here for you. Uh, also, if you have questions about this whole, this whole thing, this whole Christian thing, they'll, they'll talk to you as well, okay? Uh, come back next week. We're going to continue with the study. I hope it's, you're finding it helpful. I know I'm finding it helpful and enjoying it. So uh, go on out there. Have a good day. It's still sunny. It looks warm. Nice. I saw shorts and sandals today. That's a, that's a, that's, we haven't seen that in a while. So let me pray for you and then we're dismissed. Now, Lord, may we go and enjoy this day in celebration of your love and grace to us. And uh, may we live our lives every day in such a way as good, respectful, generous, helpful people that we point um, those around us to you, the God who loves them and cares about them. Give us the strength to do that, I pray. May your hand of peace rest on your church now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.